Okay, folks, so we are in a series and we're exploring the idea of the good news. So what I've attempted to show repeatedly is that when scholars think about the good news, they think about kingdom. And in this case, of course, it's the kingdom of God. And what we see in the New Testament is that the kingdom of God is breaking forth or being re-inaugurated with the birth, the ministry, the death, but especially the resurrection of Jesus as Lord. And as the New Testament writers see Jesus, he is the Son of Man from Daniel, the one who will judge. At least that's how they viewed Son of Man. It's the man in the heavens that the prophets see in their visions, the one that's sharing a throne with God. And as we learn from Daniel 7, 13 and 14, make sure you check those out, he reigns over an eternal kingdom. And then I've mentioned a few times, God chooses this particular moment in time to send his son. And it just so happens that this moment in time coincides with Caesar Augustus and the Roman imperial cult. Now, why did God choose this particular moment to send his son? And it's the Roman imperial cult that claims that Caesar was the Son of God and Lord and Savior of the world and whose birth is good news for the world. And so it's this moment in time that Jesus incarnates and he ends up being a direct confrontation with this imperialist way of thinking. And that's what the good news of the kingdom of God is challenging. Now, that's just a summary of what we've been presenting. And throughout that, I've mentioned a couple times that the book of Acts is a message about the kingdom of God. It's actually a message about the advancement of the kingdom of God. So in week three of this series, we looked at what scholars see as the original message, or the, what they call the primitive message, of the good news. What was the proclamation that was happening? And we had mentioned in this lesson that Luke chooses eight speeches, and in those eight speeches, Luke includes them to help the audience understand the good news of the kingdom of God. And so you can read through those, and it broadens out the message that was going out into the world. First, the message goes out to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, as the book of Acts switches to Paul and his journeys around the Roman Empire. Now, we would ask then is there anything else that helps us understand the overall message of Acts? as the kingdom of God? And the answer, of course, is yes. And this is what we're going to look at in this short lesson. How does Luke communicate this idea of the kingdom of God to his readers? How do we know that this is what Luke intended? And we can do that because scholars study ancient writings and they study ancient literary devices. And in this case, we're going to look at something called inclusio. Now, inclusio. What is an inclusio? Well, an inclusio, it's a literary device. So it's built into the text, and the authors use it to highlight the overall message they're attempting to communicate. It's like a bracketing. You begin with something, you end with something, everything's included in the middle. I'll give you a better definition in a minute. But literary devices are something that we often don't pay attention to when we're reading our Bible. So a few weeks ago, I talked about another literary device. It's called a chiastic structure. 
We've got a couple videos on this. You want to check them out. So I showed you one that's, there's a chiastic structure built into that Tower of Babel story. And that one's really amazing because it adds so much depth to the Tower of Babel story. Another one I showed you was in Mark 1. So there's a chiastic structure built into Mark 1, and it helps you understand the relationship between John the Baptist, Jesus, and the good news as it's going out. And so you can see how Mark is using this device built into the structure of the text. It helps solidify his communications about Jesus and John. So that's what I mean, a literary device. That's something we've done in the past, chiastic structure. But tonight we're looking at a different one. This is called inclusio. And so the device, it's built into whatever size the writing happens to be. It could be a poem, a psalm. It might be an entire book. And you're going to start the beginning with an idea. You're going to end with that same idea. And then everything in the middle is what's supporting it. Now, what I did in the show notes below is that I put a couple links. You can go online. You can just Google Inclusio. I have a couple links down below that'll help you go search it out. Uh, we don't happen to have a class handout for this lesson, but one resource that I use for a definition, this is called the Dictionary of the Old Testament Wisdom, Poetry, and Writings. So here we find an entry under I for Inclusio. It's also, just so you know, it's also referred to as like an envelope. Okay, something that carries the idea. So, again, you begin the section. It's, it's fairly simple, but you begin the section or the work, whatever you're doing with an idea, you end the same section or the whole work with the same idea. And then what you're saying is that everything included in between is what you need to know about this subject or that the information between the beginning and the end is summarizing this idea. So. If we take a closer look at the definition, we see that the term, here's what it says, the term inclusio indicates everything that is found between the two occurrences is included in the unit. And then it goes on to say in the bottom, the content of the inclusio may point to an important theme of the poem or the section of the text. All right, so let me show you an example. Again, very simple. We just have to know that it's there to look for it. So let me show you one example. This is from the Gospel of Mark. It's almost so simple that you like have a V8 moment, you know. Ah, I wish I would have known that earlier. So Mark begins his Gospel. It's Mark chapter 1. It's the baptism of Jesus. And what we find is a voice. And the voice declares that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we can see in chapter 1 that the voice there is God himself. But that's how the book begins. Now, if you go to the end of Mark, what do we find? We find another voice. What does the voice declare? That Jesus is the Son of God. But this time, who's speaking? Well, it's a Roman centurion. But you can see, we have an idea, a voice at the beginning, a voice at the end. And so, what does Mark's letter encapsulate? That Jesus is the Son of God. And the, everything in between is supporting this idea that Jesus is the Son of God. Now remember, who else calls himself the Son of God? That's a title for Caesar. And that centurion at the end of Mark's gospel, he's the representative of Caesar and the Roman Empire. 
That's what makes his declaration so radical. But if we don't know that that's a title for his boss, the Caesar, we miss the significance of what's happening with that centurion. That's inclusio. Very simple but powerful way of communicating. So, let's move back to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, a story about the kingdom of God. Actually, really, it's the story of the advancement of the kingdom of God. How does the kingdom of God advance? By the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, what's really cool, I mean, you know, we call it the Acts of the Apostles. It probably should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The phrase Holy Spirit shows up 42 times in the entire book. It's everywhere. By the Holy Spirit, they went here, and the Holy Spirit sent them here. And so it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit that are supporting the advancement of the kingdom of God. Okay? So Acts in the kingdom of God. Again, we're looking at the beginning and the end. The book of Acts opens. It's Jesus. Luke tells us that Jesus was walking around with his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection, and he speaks to them, or he's teaching about what? The kingdom of God. That's how the book begins. And this is what the disciples want. Remember? Remember when they're arguing over who gets to sit at Jesus' right hand when he's reigning? They want to sit at the right hand of the king, and then Jesus has to remind them, Hey guys, my kingdom is not like the kingdoms of the earth. But the disciples don't quite get it yet. They're still thinking earthly kingdom. They want the glory of Solomon in the earthly form to be back, Solomon and David. We even find in the book, in chapter 1, the disciples say to Jesus, Is it now that you restore the kingdom? So that's the beginning of the book of Acts. How does the book of Acts end? Well, actually, it's the very last sentence of the book. Paul, he's in Rome. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus as Lord. And so you say, what do we have encapsulated in the book of Acts? The kingdom of God. So scholars aren't just making this stuff up like it's some interesting idea they came up with. They understand the ancient literary devices. Most of us modern Christians were simply not aware of them. And these literary devices communicate something that's much larger and more profound. Now, let me show you uh, the two verses here. It's Acts 1.3 and Acts 28.31. And so Acts 1.3, this is talking about Jesus. To these he also showed himself after he suffered by many proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And he's speaking about the kingdom of God. That's the beginning of Acts. That's how it starts. Then it ends with these two sentences. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house and received all who were coming to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and then teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's your inclusio right there. And that's going to help bookend what Luke is communicating. Let me show you something cool, because you can go even deeper into the book of Acts. There's actually another maybe sub-inclusio or a subsection or a subdivision, and, it's, and it helps us. It serves this idea of the advancement of the kingdom of God. Let me show you here. So the book of Acts is basically subdivided, essentially two sections. You have the first half and the second half. The first section, or the first half, and this lines up with what Jesus is telling his disciples. 
He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the book of Acts follows this advancement of the kingdom. First half, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Second half of the book, ends of the earth, which, by the way, also happens to be the Roman Empire. Okay, so there's our two halves of the book. Now, let's go deeper. Let's look at how these divisions begin and end. So the first half, we already looked at this. Acts chapter 1, you have Jesus, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And he says, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then eventually to the ends of the earth. But this half, the first half, ends at Acts 12. And what happens is you have an earthly king, King Herod, and it records his death. Now, you got to go read it. Read the end of Acts 12. There's a crowd, and they're shouting out to King Herod, this is the voice of a god, right? There's that idea, again, that the king has some divine power. And at that moment, because he would not honor God, he's struck dead. Now, that's how Acts 12 ends. And there's something really cool, though. Right at the end of, of Acts 12, there's a verse that says, The word of God continues to spread and multiply. That's the advancing part. So, we finish the first half of the book. The word of God has spread through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then the king, who's reigning over that area but wouldn't give glory to God, well, then he dies. And what happens at exactly Acts 13, the very next chapter, well, the good news of Jesus as Lord of God's kingdom begins to go out to the ends of the earth. So the very, I mean, literally a couple of verses later, right after Herod's death, you go to Acts 13, it's Barnabas and Saul. Now, I put Paul down because this is before his name changed, but it's Paul. He's being sent out with Barnabas beyond the limits of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And he's going out into the ends of the earth. They're being commissioned to be sent out. And so there's a shift. There's a shift in the book of Acts where the good news is going. It's going to the ends of the earth. And of course, Paul ends up in Rome proclaiming the kingdom of God and then teaching about Jesus Christ as Lord. And what's really cool, really cool, is that the final Greek word in the book of Acts translates without hindrance. And this is as if the kingdom of God continues to advance and nothing can stop it. And if you think about the ending of the first half of Acts, the king, King Herod, who reigned over the region of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but he would not give glory to God and he dies? Well, then what's going to happen now that Paul is in the, in the Roman Empire, in Rome? What's the lesson here for the Caesar, that the earthly king who's reigning over that empire? What are the consequences for not giving God the glory? And there's implications here even for Caesar. Caesar is a human being, no more, no less. He's not a god. So this is a really cool way to divide the book of Acts, and it shows the advancement of the kingdom. Now, let me go to that final verse here, Acts 28.31. This is about Paul, but I want to show you the last word here. Verse 31, Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God, 
He's teaching about the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. As if, you know, Luke is leaving you on the edge of your seat because the kingdom is advancing and cannot be stopped. So this is an inclusio. You begin with an idea, you end with the same idea, in this case, the kingdom of God. And it says everything in the middle supports this. And it's one of the main themes that's going to happen between these two occurrences, right? And this is what helps the audience understand what are they, what are they supposed to understand from this document that Luke sent. So inclusios are all over the Bible. If you just search online, there's lots of examples that people have. Once you're aware that this literary device exists and how it's used, they'll start to jump out at you. You'll see, you'll see throughout the Bible how ideas are repeated, and then you think, wait a minute, is this what the whole thing is about? Is this main idea? So by the use of inclusio, we understand that the book of Acts is about the advancement of the kingdom of God, and it is unstoppable.